Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right another week, and the Eagles are 2-2 two and two as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 210. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I catch up with NFL film senior producer Greg Cosell to talk about what we saw in the Eagles' critical week four victory over the Green Bay Packers last week on Thursday Night Football. We're going to dive into what we saw on both sides of the football from that game and preview this Sunday's matchup against the New York Jets who visit Lincoln Financial Field here on Sunday. We have a very interesting matchup. Two teams coming off long breaks. The Eagles obviously a 10-day break since last Thursday night. The Jets coming off their bye week. So interesting matchup. We'll see what both teams look like as we enter Sunday's matchup. Now, After that, we will head into our scouting report where I will break down one of the uh, more interesting players on that Jets roster, and that's the vertical threat on the outside. Robbie Anderson, a former Temple grad, uh, a guy that I've studied going back to his college days. So I will reveal all of my notes on him when he was coming out of that Temple program. And also, a little bit of a teaser for a piece that we'll see on PhiladelphiaEagles.com later this week. Myself and Jeff Stoutland, the offensive line coach for the Eagles, will tease that as well in this show. All right, let's not waste any more time. Let's get to our chat now with Greg Cosell talking about the win over Green Bay. It's Time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Pleased to welcome in for another edition of Chalk Talk here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, my friend, Greg Cosell. Greg, welcome back to the show. Fran, what's happening? It's uh, almost, what is it now? We're week five. Week five week of the NFL five. season. We, we've hit the quarter pole. We've passed the quarter pole. Well, that's what we were saying uh, on the Journey to the Draft podcast this week. It's already the halfway point of college football regular season. Wow. Now that is crazy. Right? That's crazy to wow. think about. Um, the season goes fast every year. But uh, huge win for the Eagles oh. this past week. Uh, a game that you and I um, both watched. We talked about it last week here at the, at, the, at this desk. Um, so let, let's start with with this Eagles offense. and Because uh, both sides of the ball really made a number of big plays in this game. Um, but let's start with the offense in the run game because uh, that was obviously a huge, huge part of the success they were able to have. Uh, Jordan Howard had three touchdowns right. in the game, two rushing, one receiving. Miles Sanders had a big play on the ground. Uh, what were some of your takeaways coming away uh, from this offense on the ground? Well, one of the things I was real interested to see going into the game yeah. was what Green Bay would do defensively from a personnel standpoint. Okay, why is that? Because through three weeks, we'd seen a mixed bag. We'd seen them play a lot of sub, nickel, and dime versus opponents' base personnel. Yep. We'd also seen them line up and play some base with B.J. Goodson at linebacker with Martinez. Yep. And I wasn't sure how they would handle the Eagles 12 personnel because the reality is the Eagles 12 personnel, they present two very good receivers at the tight end position. So there was a part of me that thought that they'd try to line up with nickel as opposed to base and that that in their mind would be their better matchup. Yep. And that's what they decided to do. How did that fare for them? And it didn't work out really well. Yeah. And I guess I was surprised. And believe me, Mike Pett knows a lot more about his team and a lot more about defense than I do. 
But I guess I was surprised, particularly watching the tape, watching the game on Thursday night. I know you were here. I was at home. Yep. You know, I wasn't sitting there charting it or studying each play, you know, in depth. I was sure. kind of just watching the game. Letting it wash over you. Yep. Right. And I guess I was kind of surprised when I came in and I actually watched the tape over the weekend. I guess I was kind of surprised that he didn't go to base sooner than he did. Mm. Because he really didn't go to base until... Four-minute drill. When the Eagles got the ball on the one-yard yeah. one line. Four-minute drill and, and actually, he probably went to base then because Vitae was in the game yeah. as a sixth offensive lineman. was essentially 13 personnel, yeah. Right, yep. mm -hmm. right. So... And we'll get to it, but I think, if I'm not mistaken, they were in the same play three times in a row they did, at yes. that point. That inside zone counterplay. Right, yep. right, where they motion, Goddard went in motion across the formation, yep. but we'll get to that. But the point I'm trying to make is they stayed with that the entire game, and I, you know, you never know what Doug Peterson's game plan was. I mean, you know what it was going in, let's say, with the first 15 or 20 plays. Yes. But you don't know if he would have, let's say, stayed with that plan if perhaps the Packers went to base. Right. But obviously the way the game played out with the Packers staying in their nickel versus 12, keep running the ball until they stop you. And they didn't really stop them. Right. I mean, that was the, to me, uh, you kind of got a sense opening drive what the Eagles wanted to do in this game. You know, they came out. Uh, Jordan Howard had that 19-yard run. I think it was the second play from scrimmage. Which was, I believe, uh, Offensively, it was the same. No, it was the no. same side power. Shotgun same side power. power. Same yep, side power. So they went, they went to I the right. I think I made a note of that. Uh, yeah, Isaac Samalo yeah. pulled from the left side. Um, and one thing I just love, a little yeah, side same note. side power strong. Yep. Yeah. The one thing I love about that play yeah. is that you have, uh, you know, a lot of times when the Eagles line up in the shotgun inside zone, you say, oh, like, why are they running, you know, Jordan Howard out of the shotgun? You know, I'm talking fans, media. When you have the, that shotgun power going to the same side, that's a really nice change-up off of that because you have the defense flowing. I was just going to say, I thought that was in, in some ways kind of a, uh, uh, you know, they went against their tendency. Yes. And I thought that was a good early play call. Yep. And we it, picked up a bunch of yards right. from them. And, uh, but, um, you know, and the other factor too, and I think you have to keep this in mind, they could have thought that they really wanted to try to establish a running game in some ways to shorten the game yep. because obviously there were concerns in the secondary, which became even more glaring as the With game injuries, progressed yep. because of injuries. And, you know, even though you have a quarterback that can be dynamic at any moment and make spectacular plays, the fact is you still were missing Deshaun Jackson, so you still didn't have a vertical threat. And being a little light in the secondary from a personnel standpoint, you certainly didn't want to get into a shootout with Aaron Rodgers, sure. which they almost got into one just the way the game played out. And obviously Rodgers threw for over 400 yards. Right. So they could have gone into this game clearly with the idea that let's be as balanced as we possibly can until and unless the Packers take away the balance mm. and force us to throw. Yep. The way I look at it, Greg, and you know, people ask me, uh, about just the start of NFL seasons all the time, and you know, you, I think we're we're all very quick to jump out to judgments on teams. Of uh, course, week one, week two, week right. four, week five. I look at the first, almost the first half of the season for the the best teams, the teams that know they're gonna be they're gonna be they're going to the playoffs, they're gonna compete. Well, it does sometimes it doesn't of work course, out, of right, course. Right, but the right. teams that go in right. with that mindset, they're very <clears throat> right. confident they're gonna be there. I don't want to say it's an extended form of the preseason. That's not what I'm saying. But it's almost like you go into that first six, seven games as a way to kind of almost like take take your car out for a test drive and say, okay, here are the different ways that we're going to be able to win games in December and January. Last week, two weeks ago, I like what I was just looking at the backfield. Right. 
You look at what they did with Miles Sanders two weeks ago with the with, from the passing game. game. Right. Hey, we're going to use them vertically. We're going to do different things. We're going to motion them out. Right. We'll do empty. Then you come out last week and you show, okay, this is what we can be with Jordan Howard. If we need to win a, a slugfest and we need a guy that can be our tone setter and a finisher, so you come out right. and you slam Jordan Howard early and then you come out and have him close the game, that to me you're you're testing out different ways because the best teams are teams that but can win But you also don't know that ways. it will work. And, and you I don't. Think, and the thing is, the Eagles – and, and this is where coaching staffs earn their money, is when injuries crop up early in a season, and you don't always expect injuries early in a season. Look, every coach knows, hey, there's going to be injuries yes. of some kind. But you certainly don't go into a season saying, hey, we're going to lose to Sean Jackson week two. Yep. You don't think that way. Right. So all of a sudden, your offense becomes a little different just by necessity, because what you did week one Against the Redskins, where you hit Deshaun with two big ones, and he had, what, eight for 145? Whatever the numbers were. Um, Obviously, the two 50-plus yard ones. Um, You know, now you all of a sudden, starting week two, you've got to sort of redirect your offense You get to the golf course, and you're going to take that club out of your bag and leave it in the trunk of your car before you walk onto the course. Correct. So I, that's the thing as I look at it and I say, okay, the best teams are able to win in multiple ways. And I think that right. the Eagles have shown ways. Look, they didn't win week three against Detroit. They didn't win week two against Atlanta. To me, and that's why there's no such thing as ugly wins in the NFL. People are looking at Kansas City yesterday and say, like, right. oh, an ugly win no, over Detroit. No, there's only 16 of them. You need, to me, the, the beginning part of the season is about, A, stacking wins, get as close as you can to winning your division and getting home playoff games, and finding right. all the ways that you are able to win. Establish your identity, <coughs> right. number one, but find all the different ways you can win. And I think that's an interesting way to look at the way they use this backfield over the last couple of weeks. When you have a guy like Sanders and you have a guy like Howard, how those skill sets kind of complement each other. No question. And I think I made a note, and let me see if I can find it, uh, with the runs um, with Howard, and I may not be able to find it uh, – in the first half, these were the runs that I okay. made a note of. Inside zone wham, same side power. Yep. And he ran in they ran Howard inside against the Packers sub fronts. Yep. And Howard's well, first of all, he's an inside runner. And Howard's an intriguing runner to watch because stylistically he doesn't look special by any means, but he gains yards. Yeah. No, and he was very effective, yep. uh, you know, in the offensive line. Was outstanding. Uh, got great movement up front. I thought Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson, uh, Jason Kelsey in particular, right. those three guys, I thought did a really, really good job. Uh, the tight ends blocked. Their, and it's not just, I know that Dallas Goddard's been outstanding as a blocker. Greg, I would say that Zach Ertz has never looked better than he has in the first he four games. He had one block. I'm trying to remember the run. I, again, I don't know if it I, was, made, I, I made a note of it. You probably know what I'm talking was about. It, was he next to Goddard and he helped kind of set up? Uh, he, he sort of started inside and then had to immediately work toward the outside to seal someone. And I forget, you know, I may not have made a if note I remember of right, that specific run. He was a backside player. It was him and Goddard. They were right. on the backside. And he did because I think I posted the shot on Twitter. It was just Friday off a couple hours of sleep. So I don't really remember the right, play right, off the top right, of my head. Right. But he he did a great job of working with Goddard to get his get, help Goddard get in position to be able to make the finish the maybe, block. Maybe and then that's he peeled the off to the linebacker. I, yeah. um, but you know, it's funny. Um, you know, you mentioned obviously Sayamalo. The, the run I thought he re- did a really good job was on the Sanders thirty yarder to start the last yes. possession of the third quarter, which was wham. I mean, and he perfectly got up, drawn up. 
he got up to the second level to get uh, Martinez. It was yep. beautiful. Let's talk about Wham for a sec, because you know I think the the when I posted the shot on Twitter right. on Friday morning, uh, it gained a lot of traction. Just you know a lot. I'll, this has been a staple for the Eagles' offense for a couple of years now. Right. So it's a staple for a lot of yeah, teams. Yeah, staple now. for a lot of teams right. now. Uh, talk about the benefits, the pros and cons of the Wham play. And I shouldn't even say the con. What, what, when it's run well, what is the good thing about a well, Wham play? What Wham essentially does is you're bringing almost always a tight end. From the edge of the formation, the edge of of, of yep. the formation inside, yep. and he's going to angle block a player. You're going to let penetrate. It's usually a one technique or a three technique. Yep. Could be either one, depending on the nature of the front and how you draw it up. So what you essentially do is you allow that one or three technique to work upfield. Now, you don't just automatically let him go. The, the the player that's closest to him, whether it's the offensive center or the offensive guard, will normally take a step toward him just so he pauses for a moment. Influence him, yep. And influence him. But then what you're hoping is, is by the nature of that step, by the offensive center or the offensive guard, he's not looking to his side, whether it be right or left, and all of a sudden now you get an angle block by the tight end, and those angle blocks are they're theoretically easier blocks because you have the angle. Right. And then you just remove him from the point of attack yep. because you can just wash him down. And what it does is it creates a hole right there. And what it also does is it allows that defender, excuse me, that offensive lineman, be at the center or the guard, to then work immediately up to the second level and get the linebacker. Yep, so essentially you are getting a smaller body on your side to block a bigger body on their side, which if you're with done an correctly, angle. with an angle, which now allows a you... A bigger body to, get, to block a smaller body more cleanly. So now you're winning, You're trying to win matchups across the board. Correct. Uh, this was, if you like draw up how it looks, the alley couldn't have been better. Sanders hit it you hard on the Sanders 30 on the, on the Sanders 30 Oh, that was... He was untouched. Yeah, he was untouched through the hole. Right. Uh, did a great. Usually, you say you want to see guys get up there patient and slow right. play up to the. He on those well, runs, okay. those are quick hitting runs. Right. You want to hit that at full speed. Right. If that works the way it's it's drawn up, yeah. then you want to hit it. Right. And he he that's hit that one That's not a patience well. vision run. No, that's a hit it. That's one yeah. of those ones, and that's what you know when people say like, oh, how would X player fit in the, in the Eagles offense? He's the Eagles offense with all the different versatile run schemes, all the different run right. schemes they have. They can fit any back into the scheme. It's not a matter right, of like, right. oh, this guy no, doesn't fit. But it's funny, you know. You say that. I was watching uh, earlier uh, today, actually, um, and again, John DeFilippo's there, and he came from Philadelphia. But I was watching Leonard Fournette's runs, and yep. there were a ton of different runs. What they run? You know, all the same kind of stuff the Eagles run. Okay, you know, nice. it's the same. It's, but I, I think I made a note of nine or ten different run schemes. Yeah. But a lot of teams now are starting to do diversify a little uh, bit. Diversify, you know, quite a bit because you have to because your offensive linemen theoretically are are outmatched by the quickness and speed of defenses now. Right. So it's so a good you, way to kind you, of level the playing field. You have to level bit. the playing field okay. and be very diverse. Interesting. Um Screen game also came a little, you know, there wasn't a ton of screens. No, it wasn't two, a ton of screens. Two big ones that I thought were, were right. they ran the one to Howard, which was actually really cool. I, I like the screen a lot. And the one to Goddard, which, which was, was really that good sort one. of double screen. The middle where, screen, yeah. Where he nice faked play. to the left and came back to the right. Yeah, that was a good play. It was a good play. The, that the got one, him down, I think, inside the five. That maybe. got him inside the five. That yeah. set up the first touchdown. Yep. And then the one to Howard was just before his touchdown catch, right, uh, where right. they faked the sprint out to the right. He so he jet he went right, jet left. Right. They sprint right, right, and he throw back. It was actually a very well designed play. I like yep. that one a lot. 
No, it's funny. I um, and and you know we can start talking about the Eagles' pass game yeah. too, which I thought featured heavy emphasis on quick game concept, concept, shotgun play action. Packers obviously didn't blitz much. I don't know why they didn't blitz much because of what the Eagles were doing. Because quick game, you're not going to get there anyway. Yep. So maybe again, you never know what's in Mike Pettin's game plan going into the game. Sure. And then you see how it plays out, and you say, "Hey, well, I'm not getting there." So. Yep. Why? Why am I wasting a player? Why sacrifice coverage? Right. Yeah. No, I think that was certainly part of the game plan. You could tell it was just you know let's get the ball out quickly, let's keep things well defined, let's have answers for Carson if they do kind of uh, change things up. Right. Snap. You'll need some of that this week, by the way, against Greg Williams, um, just in terms of what they do from right. a disguise standpoint. But uh, yeah, I, I thought that there was look, was it perfect? Of course not, but it was a uh, I thought it was a well schemed win for sure. Yeah, and I think what stood out to me was that the offense, and again. There's always a few plays here and there. Carson missed a throw here and there. Obviously, not every run is a big run. Yep. But for the most part, I thought the offense had had an efficient feel to it. Yeah. Like, it seemed like what they tried to get done, for the most part, worked. To me, the biggest thing in this game going against— he wasn't against, sacked. No, he was not sacked. And, that's the, like, and he wasn't really hit, you know. I mean, it was, yeah. it was one of those games where you didn't feel, you know, you didn't have that, ooh, yeah. you know, where he got hit too many times. I think he got hit once or twice, in, but nothing yeah, crazy. Yeah. I think, ultimately, to me, the biggest—I mean, no, this isn't even just to me. There's no secret. The biggest difference in this game was red zone. The Eagles go four for four in the red Correct. zone, four trips, four touchdowns. Where the Packers, the Packers, I believe, went yeah. three for seven. Um, you know, and so when you look at from an offensive standpoint, what happened the last two weeks against Detroit and against Atlanta? Yep. Plays were there to be made, and the Eagles didn't make the plays. Opportunities were there; they were they were missed. This past week against Green Bay, good defense that had been opportunistic right. and made big plays, turnover sacks. They were able to negate those big plays for Green Bay, and when the opportunities were there for them, they were able to capitalize. Yeah, and I thought the first one, the six-yarder to Jeffrey, yep. really started well because I don't know how you saw it, but I saw it as the play design being Sanders on the wheel. Yep. And that was taken away because the Packers switched, Yep. which you don't know they're going to switch right. when sure. you call the play. And I thought with Wentz coming back to the trip side and hitting Jeffries on the inbreaker, that to me, that was really good quarterbacking in the red zone because a lot of quarterbacks in the red zone, they, they speed up so much because they know everything has to happen faster that they don't get to a progression read. Yep. And I thought that was really good by Wentz because that was, that was to, the wheel route was the number one read. Yep. And I thought, which we've uh, seen them run. Exactly. Good right. question. And I, th I think ultimately, uh, you know, the like we said, the execution down in the red zone was was really good across the board. Um, Ertz and Goddard had big ga big games, mostly uh, on the ground. We had a couple big completions to Ertz. I think ultimately, when you look at this offense in this game, it more speaks to all right. This is a, a versatile. It's what we talked about leading up. It's a very versatile group that can find different ways to beat you based on how they line up, and uh, they were able to do that. But, Thursday. but the run game was critical yes. because because the the pass game was efficient. But when all said and done. It, Throwing for 160 yards, and in that in this game it was fine. Yep. But I think throwing for 160 yards for the most part against good teams will probably not be enough. Sure. But in this game, you know, in this it, game it was enough. It, it was enough. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the defensive side. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought that the the rush had a, an interesting game because I thought that overall the defensive line, you know, if you want to look at pure, you know, the you know, quote unquote the hits and the the hurries, they got a, you know they got a, a sack fumble, big play right. uh, from pass rush. I thought they were this was their most active game in terms of affecting the quarterback. Uh, I thought they got to Rodgers numerous times, forced him off his spot, had a couple where they wrapped him up and he was able to wriggle away. Uh, Which with Rodgers, I don't know if that's good or bad. Well, they, they, I mean that's exactly right. I mean you're you still saw, trying to do that. Yeah. I mean obviously you're not going into a game 
game saying, let's not try to rush the quarterback. Right. But what you saw then as well is that they were kind of mixing things up from a mush rush standpoint right. as well. I, I thought uh, the fourth down, the the one goal line stand on fourth down, a lot of fans were pointing at Fletcher Cox saying, why isn't he rushing there? To me, uh, he's playing contained right now. Right. Brandon Graham right. rushed inside. He looped outside. He can't let Rodgers right. get outside of him. So uh, Yeah, because Rodgers made a number of plays – the Rodgers plays that are improvisational. Yep. One of the Jimmy Graham touchdown was a great yes. improvisational play by Rodgers. I was talking about this with Ben, uh, with Ben Fennel off camera earlier today. That play, Jimmy Graham was probably like the last person you would, in theory, want that ball to go to on a cover on a cover zero pressure, because he was a an adjusted right, route that wasn't right, a uh, right. that wasn't a built in route. He adjusted. He turned the slant into a into a vertical route. Right. He, he, yeah. So the, he had the hot route on the opposite side. He had a double well, move on the opposite side. He had the sluggo on the, on the, the play I, side. The way I saw it, I thought the play design was Adams on sluggo versus Maddox. Yep. But Bradham got in clean, forcing Rodgers to move. Right. And Graham turned his flat up the field, and Rodgers improvised the throw. Yep. I mean, uh, that's the way I saw it. Yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was well done by from that standpoint. Um, but but obvi- look, obviously, because of all the injuries in the secondary, you know, Rodgers did drop back an awful lot. Yep. But he threw for over 400 yards, which there's no way you're, you're thrilled with that number. Sure. Uh, and look, it was a nail biter, Fran. I mean, you know, I, you know, yeah. we, you know, we, we we don't watch together this year the way we used to. But uh, I'm sure at the end of that game, as they were going down the field on that final drive, you were not feeling real I comfortable. Little, I was a little antsy. You're probably a little as I was too. <laughs> and I never stay up for these night games, right. you know. But I just couldn't go to bed. Yeah. No. It was, it was a it was a fun game. Yeah. It was a very fun game. Uh, a great one on Thursday night. Um, Look, in coverage, uh, you mentioned at the top, I mean, the Eagles, they lose Sidney Jones in-game. You lose Avante Max at the end of the game. Uh, we'll see about Ronald Darby, what that looks right. like by the end of this week. But uh, a lot of that, as Jim Schwartz said today on Monday, a lot of time between now and, now and Sunday to kind of get that situated and right, see what it looks right. like. And I know they brought back Orlando Skandrick, yep. who's you know played in the league. Obviously, he was here in training camp and was a cut, but played in the league for a lot of years. You can line him up. Yep. Um, and we'll see if anything else happens. I mean, there's always talk, you know, uh, there's social media talk. I don't know if that means anything. No, of it probably it means does nothing. Not. But yes, you know, right. you see it. Get, you, you know, friend, you just got to follow what's trending. You know? Well, I mean, I know that's, well, that's <laughs> I know that's what you focus on. Um, so the Eagles made a trade today. I don't know if you saw that on your drive over. No, I they, didn't. Uh, so they traded uh, Jonathan Cyprian and a seventh round pick to Atlanta for Duke Riley and a sixth round pick. The linebacker. The linebacker, former third round pick out of LSU. Wow. Well, he's so, so. Give us your thoughts on a Duke Riley. Well, I don't know what happened to him in Atlanta because he didn't play. Right. And he's been uh, playing special teams. Right. Yes. Um, you know, he was the guy who followed Deion Jones at yes, LSU. Correct. And was stylistically similar. Um, not quite the same player, but very stylistically similar. Yep. In, he was a good athlete. Yeah. Great special team throughout the course of his career at LSU. Right. Only a one-year starter. You know, a run and chase right guy. Jones. Yes, correct. A run and chase player. Um, to be honest with you, I thought he'd end up doing better. But look. He was in Atlanta. He was not going to beat out Deion Jones. Yep. And, you know, it's tough to play with two of those guys. Yeah, and they needed safety help with Keanu Neal going down. Right, right. Um, interesting, because, uh, you know, Cyprian obviously played some snaps this week, but hasn't played very much. Right. Um, you know, they hardly played any dime this week, and then that tells you that either— well, I don't know what it tells you, but obviously Cyprian did play when they played dime, but it was 
it couldn't have been more than seven or eight snaps. snaps. Yeah, right. You're so obviously they weren't comfortable playing him in their dime, which probably told you all you needed to know now that you just told me about that trade, yeah. which I think happened on my drive down. Yeah, and the Eagles yeah. uh, the Eagles released LJ Fort uh, over the weekend. Right. So you you know you want to be able to get some of those special team snaps back and right. bring in a guy right. like Duke Riley who has experience in the third phase of the game and can help you there right. Uh, right. while moving up uh, around in the draft as well next year. So we'll talk about that in April. No, well, yeah, that's, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. No, not a bad not. thing. Um Anything else that you would want to talk? I mean, look, the uh, the the biggest thing we talked about it from the offensive standpoint, the Eagles tightened up in the red zone, man. I mean, the the That's, two goal line stands. Me, yeah, yeah. I mean, and people can debate what the, what the uh, Packers should have done or shouldn't have done. Of course, but all you, we can react to is what they did. Yeah, and obviously they tightened up in the red zone really well. I'm trying to see. You know, uh, one thing that I because Rodgers dropped back so many times. One thing that did stand out to me, and it'll become more and more important as the season progresses, is I thought Fletcher Cox actually played really well against the run in this yep. game. Yeah, he start, I, he's coming into his own. Right, he's and coming I thought that, his you know, back. again, that didn't seem like it was important in the context of this game. Right. But I think that's something to build on. Yep. You know, and I think Josh Schwetz had some good snaps, too. I don't know. He has. I don't know how much, you know, he'll end up playing snaps-wise. Right. Maybe yep. that's a week-to-week thing, yep. depending on opponent, personnel usage. Yep. You know, but I thought he's, you know, throughout the year, I think he's had some pretty good snaps. I, you know, through, in training camp, I think, I don't know how much you were paying attention to it, but he had caught a lot of buzz and people were talking right. about him. And I think a lot of people were expecting this astronomical jump. Oh, he's going to be. I didn't expect you know, this. That. Yeah, yeah. You have to be realistic about the expectation. Yeah, and exactly yeah. what he showed in the summer. Yeah. He is shown now. Yep. He's shown the ability to have flash snaps. He's coming in off the bench. He can give you a little bit of a juice. He played some inside. He played yep. some outside. No, he, he's they, had, he some had nice meaningful snaps. snaps inside. Yeah. So, I mean, with the injuries, they've had a defensive tackle. We'll see how long uh, until Tim Jernigan comes yeah. back. But, uh, you know, he's made plays against the run. Right. He had a nice TFL from the backside in the yep. run game. I remember um, it. He's had a couple Across of nice rushes. Of, uh, was it the tight end or yep. the tackle? Yeah, tight end, I think. Tight end or the tackle, yeah, whoever yeah. it was on the backside. And, I, you know, a couple of the rushes were, again, he's just – the big thing we saw from him coming out of Florida State, and I forget exactly well, how he it, felt it, about it. It looked him, like was, he was he was favoring his leg at Florida State his last year. From, Plus, yeah, he from, lined up in a four point stance, which you knew he was never going to do in the NFL. Right, and, and it too, just from a, a technical, you know, he was just coming along as a right. pass rusher. Right. The tools were there, right. and he was could defend the run. He got a high right. motor, but was just coming along right. as a pass rusher. And now we he's, he's coming along as a pass rusher. My guy, Who's your, who flashed? Which one? Andrew Sandejo. Oh, he had it. Yes, he did. Yeah, I mean. Say what you want. I mean, that play on third down in the red this zone. This goes back was to Minnesota. I told you when they when they brought him in. Yeah, you know, and I know uh, you know you don't necessarily study all the other teams right. in the detail I do just because yes. of what I do at of NFL course. films. But I've liked Sandejo for the last couple of years. Yeah. Now he's a certain kind of player. Yeah, I'm not suggesting he's Earl Thomas or Ronnie Lott or you know we're, we're not saying that he's right. a certain kind of player. But he's really good at that kind of player. Sure. And obviously, with the injuries, he was playing in the nickel. He played a I mean, lot. Yeah. There was, yeah, they were playing basically big nickel, and he was playing. And I thought he flashed. The the third down uh, play in the first half, I thought was very good because I, a lot of people Plus talk he's about an those goal line. Well, yeah, I mean, he yes. plays with a. A fiery approach. Yeah, that's I mean, why the I, coaches like him. Yeah, yep. yep. I think when you, you look at those two goal line stands, were big. Those two field goal, uh, the stops where they held them to field goals instead of touchdowns in the first half were just as big. Correct. You know, when Sandejo made a play on third down yep. in the red zone, uh, where held 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 the offense to a field goal and kind of stopped the bleeding. Those are big, big plays yep. in the grand scheme of things. Uh, let's talk about the Jets. Um, that's who's coming to town this week. Take big picture because obviously, look, this right. is a team that. 
has faced a, a, a lot of adversity uh, for the last, we'll say, you know, month and couple weeks. It's a depleted team on Very both sides so. of the ball. And it's a shame. I mean, you know, maybe not a shame for the Eagles, and we hope no. it's a nice, you know, somewhat relaxing win, obviously. But it's just a shame for, you know, I, I know a lot of coaches around the league, and I know coaches on the Jets staff, and it's just... It's a shame, you know. You just feel you feel badly, you know, or I do anyway, because um, they can't do what they want to do. Yeah, I mean, so Quincy Anunwa goes down with season-ending injury. Right. Uh, obviously, Sam Darnold out with mono. We'll see. If we're, we're shooting this Monday night. Uh, he said the reports are Monday. It seemed like it was up in the air. We'll right. see if he's able to go. He may not go. It seemed probably more the latter at this point that he may not go. So we don't know about Sam Darnold. Um, you know, the offensive line, they've kind of mixed and matched uh, coming into the season. That was a question. And they went and they got Khalil out of free, out of retirement. They made some <laughs> trades. They got Colecchio Semele. They went and got... And uh, the group know, hasn't really gelled. They haven't gelled yet. Um, I mean, and that's just a film study statement. That's right. not... We're not... Knocking no. anybody, the film tells you that the offensive line right now is not very good. One of the biggest playmakers on that offense, you would say, coming into the season was the tight end Chris Herndon. In July, he uh, they, he gets suspended. And Adam Gates is very good with tight end usage, going yep. back to his days with Peyton Manning when they had uh, Thomas. Sure, Julius Thomas. Julius yeah. Thomas. Who, who essentially was a big wide receiver, as is Chris Herndon. And now Herndon, he won't be playing this week. Nope, He's back the this week is after. His last game. Yeah, right. So, so I, you it's know, rough. They, they're very limited in what yeah. they can do. And again, as you said, we're shooting this on Monday night, but Luke Falk's been the starting quarterback, and that creates even more limitations. So really, you're talking about Le'Veon Bell. Yep. And, and they're, so this is a team that's coming off their – everyone's talking about, oh, the Eagles got some extra rest. Right. The Jets got a lot of extra they rest. Had a they had a bye. So coming out of that, I do wonder, okay, because they, we haven't seen a ton of – Creativity with Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, there were, he caught a touchdown, I believe, against Buffalo where he lined up outside and empty. I remember and ran, yeah. ran a little yep. outbreaking route. Yeah. Um, I wonder if we'll see a little bit more of that. If they're going to try and see if they can get a little well, bit more out of the guys they do have they could their think, horses. You know, there's a number of ways teams go about it when they feel that they're a little bit overmatched physically. Yeah. You know, one way is to try to just play straightforward football, try to keep the game close, maybe shorten the game a little bit. You know, hopefully in the third quarter it's 17-10 instead of 34-10. Another way is to get creative on offense. And when I, when I say creative, you know, a little trickery. And when I say, you know, trickery is a relative term. I'm not talking about the fact that you're going to run five flea They're not flickers. going to come out and run the triple option and throw, yes. Exactly. Right, 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 right. But I mean, just, you know... <sighs> I'm not even sure exactly, you know, where I'm going with some it. New but, wrinkles that they have but put some on new film. wrinkles that we have not seen on yes, film. Right. And that they feel if it's not Darnold, that Luke Falk can handle. Yeah. I mean, that would be You're the just way. trying to get a big play. You know, all you're trying to do, you probably know you're not going to sustain a ton of offense. This is a team that's right now, I think they're they're 29th in yards per carry. And right. It's not even, so this isn't even yards per game while they're playing from behind. They're throwing right. the ball. They're not able to run the ball very successfully. They're not staying on the field in third down. They're not creating X plays. They're 32nd in big plays on offense. Uh, they're 32nd on third down. They're not staying on the field. No. They're not creating chunk so plays. You, so that's not likely to happen this week. You know, And again, if Sam Darnold plays, maybe that that's different. Whack, yes. But if he doesn't play you're not likely to change those numbers significantly. So right. what are you trying to do? You're trying to create a couple of big plays that can give you chunk yards. Maybe one of them goes for a touchdown. You're trying to get a few turnovers on defense. You're hoping your special teams comes through in a big way, uh, whatever that means. You know, I mean, you'd love to score a special teams touchdown, but you know, that, those are the kinds of things you're hoping for if you're the Jets. 
They've had 36 drives in three and games. And how many touchdowns have they scored? One. One more than me and you have together. Wow. It's been a rough that three games. That reminds me, for people who are old like me, of an old basketball coach named Abe Lemons, who was famous for a quote where if a, if a player who thought he was a big-time player in, in college when Abe was coached in college, okay. let's say, you know, didn't score in a game, you know, he'd say, you know, you scored the same number of points as a dead man. It's, you uh, know, it's a one-off. So I think, yeah. But, um, yeah, they have one touchdown. So, look, it's it's been a real struggle, and, and they just don't have any weapons. And, and what's killed them... If your O-line at least is playing at a decent to a good level, yep. you at least have a chance. Yeah. But the O-line, and I think they expected more out of it, uh, but the O-line has not played very well on tape. Yeah, they've given up th- 13 sacks in yeah. three games. It's, it's, it's been rough on offense yeah. to start. Defensively, it's been a little bit better, but a lot of adversity there as well. They yeah. signed C.J. Mosley in free agency. He goes down with And they thought they'd one. have with C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson to a really strong inside linebacker duo, and Williamson gets hurt in the preseason after the year. Yep. Mosley hasn't played since week one. He was, So they were up 16-0 on the Bills, the undefeated Bills, well, previously undefeated right. Bills. He goes out. Everything was downhill after right. C.J. Mosley left the game. Right. Yeah, and that was that was it. So, and Mosley's was their signal caller too. Yes, uh, so, big play and had like pass breakups down the field. Right. Had a sack. Had uh, a pick six. Right, because they, they did score other touchdowns, just not on offense. Um, yeah, he was a big play for them on defense. The third pick in the draft hasn't really played much. Quinn Williams has been out since about that time as yeah, well. Yeah, um, you know, and so you lose Quinn and Williams, you lose Avery, Avery Williamson, you lose C.J. Mosley. Uh, they've had a change at corner. They uh, well, Tremaine, they knew their secondary could be a potential issue. They were hoping their front seven could compensate. Yeah, and now they've had all these issues on the front seven, so they can't compensate. And re- remember, too, that this was a team that tried to sign Anthony Barr in free agency because they felt they had a need of pass rusher. They wanted to put and him the And they don't have edge. a pass rusher. They didn't get Barr. He ended up going back to Minnesota, right. and they, they didn't have anybody else to step in. No. So clearly they felt they had a big need of pass rusher, and then they couldn't go. They drafted Ja'Kai Polite in the third round. And he's we been know on what his third. Him, he's yes. been on his third team uh, since then. So, so, uh, so they, good, they've yes. got that, that real good mix on defense. They can't rush the quarterback, and they can't cover. Yes, which is uh, often not good. No. But um, just going through my notes uh, from a personnel standpoint, I mean, uh, Leonard Williams, nice good, player. Good player. Yep, he's a nice player. A guy See, I think he'd be an for. even better player if he was on a team that had some kind of edge pr- Correct. threat. Yes. You know, then I think Him as be... your number one guy is not ideal. No, because he's not a true edge player. Right. He can line up there, but that's not his, his thing. So uh, Bronson Kafusi, uh, Henry Anderson, guys that are kind of have that D-tackle, D-inflexibility, they kind of line them up all over the place. Uh, similar to the last couple of teams we, the Eagles right. have played, they're, they can they're be very versatile They're also missing another guy that maybe people aren't aware of, and he's a local kid from Penn, Brandon Coleman, ah, who yes. actually is another guy who's suspended and won't play this week. Yep. But he actually, last year, did provide some edge pressure, and he's out as well. Nathan Shepard also suspended. He, correct. Second-round pick, just, what was it, last year? Yes. Before, out of yeah. Fort Wayne State. Um, so then you look at their corners. Yeah, so they they signed Tremaine Johnson a couple of years ago in free agency to be a big big money corner for them. He was benched after week one for a kid that they traded for in August to Nate Harrison, a former Temple kid. So Nate Harrison starting at left corner. At right corner, uh, you've got Daryl Roberts. And in the nickel, they went and they signed Brian Poole away from the 11th. Who's not a bad so a nice player. player. Nice nickel yeah. player, yes. But on the outside, tough sledding. You'd like to be able to take advantage of that. Uh, safety... 
Jamal Adams, good. kind of the flag carry for that team. Right, right. And I think the other kid's good too, Marcus. Uh, I'll tell you what. Marcus so Marcus May. May, he's not the most explosive. Like, he's but I think not he's a, a solid player. He's instinctive. Like, he I think reads if you routes had really good well. Corners. Yep. We we and and the team was better overall. We would say that it's a nice safety duo. Yep. I think when you look at May and you watch him first, you're like, ah, oh, like man, I'd love to be able to get a receiver right. matched up on him. See, you know, try but to test him. He's a good him. player. He's a good player. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good player. It's a team that's had a lot of adversity, but coming off a bye week, I mean, they're, you know, they're, and the only thing, Greg Williams is, is in his 19th year as yeah, a talk about him big picture. He's in his 19th year as a coordinator in this yep. league. You know, obviously he's pretty good at his job. He already wouldn't keep getting hired. Yep. Teams don't hire guys. That, yeah, there are coaches good. that don't get hired. Yes, correct. Um, I would say that he's an interesting mix of pressure and coverage, and that may not sound. People might say, "Well, isn't every coordinator?" Well, <laughs> he's a guy that he can really, depending on the opponent, can be super aggressive, almost to the point where he leaves some voids in the coverage. Or and yep. he's big with the sky, so sometimes what happens with the Greg Williams defense is guys hold their water too long and don't get to where they need to be in disguise time. Disguise themselves they out disguise of coverage. Disguise themselves out of coverage. Yep. And that's something that stood out. They've given some big plays up this they, year on that. And I think that's been true in Greg's career. Yeah. But he can also be really good with his pressure concepts, and you better be prepared because there are times he'll show you some things from a pressure perspective and he'll catch you. Mm. And, you know, obviously it hasn't happened in their first three games. Yep. Um, but it can happen and you better be aware of that. You know, this is a game where the Eagles offensive staff has to coach against Greg Williams, not the personnel. No question. Yes. Because he can beat you with a scheme if you're not prepared. Love that. That's a, that's a great point. I love that. Well, next week we'll be uh, sitting at this desk breaking down exactly how the Eagles come. And let's hope, in. and I say this honestly, this is the kind of game you have to win. Look, I don't expect them to be ahead 34 nothing in the second quarter, but this has to be a game where they're comfortably in command. You'd like that. Yeah. Li- I'd like that every I week. I mean, if there's only yeah. 16, so you just want to win. Yes. But you'd like to be comfortably in command. Sure. Thankfully, uh, no such thing as style points in, no, the, uh, in no. the NFL. No, no. Just W's and L's. W's and L's. Well, Greg, uh, we will talk about this game next week, and we'll preview what, who do we got? Minnesota the week after Ooh. that. So uh, a team I know you've, you've watched in time. Uh, I have watched them quite a bit. Interesting team. All right. Well, we'll talk to you next week here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Island Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Great stuff from Greg, and you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that you can find on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Speaking of which, just caught up this week with Jeff Stoutland. That'll be our tape study segment over on Eagles Game Plan, which you should be watching each and every week. If you listen to this show habitually, you will love the video version. That's Eagles Game Plan, a short show that we put together each and every week previewing the upcoming matchup. Well, I caught up with Jeff Stoutland as we broke down the Eagles and their run game in the win over Green Bay. I asked him a little bit of a question. Hey, you've faced a couple defenses in a row, teams that have multiple defensive fronts, have a lot of different versatile looks up front, mixing and matching personnel and how they line up. What does that mean from a, a, a preparation standpoint for the offensive line going into the week? We talk about it on the outside, but what does it actually mean? Here's Jeff Statlin's answer. Two weeks in a row, you've played defenses where very multiple, very uh, versatile in the way that they align uh, up front. You know, a lot heavy sub-package defensively uh, from the back end, but you know, lining up different players in different spots, moving them around. What does that mean from a preparation standpoint for your group, especially last week on a short week? Well, I think that 
our players understand that in our schemes they can play at any position. So when they learn that from day one, and those are the expectations from day one, then they're always alert for that stuff. So I don't think it's a big deal because we taught it that way from day one. Well, for the rest of that segment, again, make sure you tune in to Eagles Game Plan this week. It's our tape study segment. That also gets posted as an individual piece. So check out the full show when it gets posted late Wednesday, early Thursday over on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And if you're local in the Philadelphia area, it'll be on NBC this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. All right. Uh, Like I said, we appreciate everybody that promotes this show on all forms of social media. But the best way is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen, and leave us a rating and leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout out to a couple people that did exactly that this past week. Chesapeake 11 left a five-star review saying how much they love the show uh, and asked, why don't we just do it all year round? Uh, I know that you're talking about our chats with Greg Cosell. Listen, I talk with Greg every chance I get. So whenever we're able to get Greg, whether it's at the combine or you know whether it's leading up to the draft, right after the draft, always try and get his insight on all things X's and O's. Greg is the GOAT, uh, and he knows that. So uh, really appreciate the, the love there, Chesapeake. Uh, infamous PKO82 uh, left a five-star review, said how much they love the show and all the X's and O's breakdowns. Appreciate that, Infamous. And then lastly, Matt Esquire. Here's the thought. Here's the question. Offenses now use a lot of motion and personnel packages to get matchups and uh, number advantages. The defensive uh, counter to that is using pre-snap disguise and post-snap switching. This puts a premium on defensive backs and linebackers who can play interchangeable roles, so they may uh, make the required switches, just like NBA defenses now. I think that the Eagles prioritize athletes who can play multiple roles. I'm assuming you're talking about guys like Malcolm Jenkins and the like. Obviously, all the corners have versatility. Uh, But back to the question, I think that the Eagles prioritize athletes who can play multiple roles, but when we follow the money, big-time corners still get more money than big-time safeties. Fellas, can we win by focusing on quote-unquote cheap corners? Well, I would say a couple things, man, because there's a lot there to unpack. Um, number one, yeah, it is a little bit of a positionless league now. I think when you look around the game, both offensively and defensively, there is so much that goes into it from a matchup standpoint that, you know, you look at big nickel and big dime and the way teams are trying to match up from a sub-package standpoint. You look at guys like Dallas Goddard, these combo tight ends that can do everything. That gives you a lot of versatility. We've talked about that uh, ad nauseum this offseason, right? Well, uh, defensively, that's the counter to that, and that's why you're starting to get into more of a quote-unquote positionless game. You know, we're seeing now players that are skill players that are running backs that are receivers that line up in the slot that line up out wide that can throw passes we saw one go in the third round of San Francisco this year in Jalen Hurd out of Baylor so those players are becoming more and more common uh, and then counter you know to counter that again you're going to see that defensively we see it every year with these linebacker safety combos these corner safety combos that in years past would have been viewed as tweeners but now they're viewed as hybrids. And we actually had this discussion over on the Journey to the Draft podcast with Ben Fennell uh, a couple of weeks ago and really a good one this past week on this particular position. So if you missed that conversation, make sure you go check that out on the Journey to the Draft. It was a really fun, thoughtful conversation. But uh, ultimately, I think when you're looking at it in terms of the Eagles' blueprint, look, in in years past, the Eagles have – paid the cornerback position. I mean, you look, uh, when I first got here uh, in 2011, they had just made uh, Namdi Asamoah the highest paid corner in all of football. A few years later, they made Byron Maxwell one of the highest paid corners in all of football. A few years before that, not, uh, Asante Samuel was one of the highest paid corners in all of football. They spent high draft picks on Lito Shepard and Sheldon Brown. They spent high picks uh, on guys like Bobby Taylor. They paid a lot of money uh, to get Troy Vincent. And they said they 
the cornerback position has always been a priority, as I guess is my point. Over these last couple of regimes, they've put a lot of money into the cornerback position. I think now when you look at how this team was built, and I don't think necessarily maybe it wasn't the strategy going in, but it's how things fell together, is that they were able to get a lot of players on rookie contracts, on you know, you spend a lot, uh, you spend assets on these young corners that come in and fit the scheme. So you look at it; they acquired Jalen Mills, who they got in the seventh round. He was not seen as a seventh round pick going into the, through that draft process. He was seen by most as a day two choice. I kind of viewed him as a, even a borderline first round choice uh, as a corner or a safety. I think you look at uh, guys like Sidney Jones. He went early second round. Before his injury, he was seen as a top 15, top 20 pick. The Eagles thought that they were getting value there in the second round. So Razul Douglas was a third-round pick that they had valued higher than that. Avante Maddox was a fourth-round pick. They traded for Ronald Darby a second-round pick. So I think ultimately when you're looking at how they put this team together, it's not, you know, yeah, they haven't gone out and paid top-shelf money for that, you know, veteran top-of-the-line uh, corner that's, you know, that's coming off the free agent market that you're going to have to spend all that money for, but they went and, pay, and put a lot of assets into the secondary in terms of draft choices. So I think ultimately, you know, at some point, you have to pay those guys. Like you said, the cornerback position does command money. That's just the, the way that this team was built with all the other choices because you can't spend high picks. You can't ch- sign high-ticket free agent uh, acquisitions. You can't do that across the board at every single spot. So this team tried to navigate that, picked their spots. They were going to spend money. Where were they going to spend their money? Where was it most important? Where were they going to spend their draft capital? Where was that most important? And that's how when you're doing best best player available and being judicious with how you spend your money in free agency, that's how this all comes together. I have said for a long time, I know that the results have been, you know, they have been a little bit up and down over the course of the last couple of years. I love this secondary. I love the way that this group competes. I look you look at guys like Mills, you look at guys like Darby. They all bring, you know, their their strengths and their weaknesses. You look at Razul Douglas and Sidney Jones and Avante Maddox. They all have the role that they're able to play and what and what they're able to bring to the table from a strengths and weaknesses standpoint. But, you know, back to your initial question. Yes, I do think that that is how defenses are trying to create themselves now. Is you want to have positionless players because the last thing you want as a defense is an offense makes one tweak and now all of a sudden you've got to rework a lot of things and change three players in and three players out and rework everything from a substitution standpoint. You'd love the ability to line up in one or maybe two or three personnel groupings on the back end and then we're talking back seven and say, we can match up with however you want to play. You want to run the ball heavy? Great. You want to throw the ball and spread us out wide? Great. We feel comfortable. That's ultimately where every team wants to be able to get just like how on offense, you want to be able to line up in 12 personnel and say, yeah, you want to run the ball? Great, we'll line up heavy and we'll run it. Or, hey, we're going to spread you out and we can throw it all over the yard. You want to feel comfortable doing that as well. So it's that constant chess match going back and forth. That's ultimately uh, how this team is built, how, the, how all 32 teams are built. So really, really good question there, Matt. Really, really appreciate the the question there. Uh, all right, let's keep this show going. Earlier, I told you we would dive into my notes here on te- former Temple wide receiver Robbie Anderson, now a star with the New York Jets. Let's get to that now in Scouting Report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Robbie Anderson was a two-year starter coming out of Temple uh, just a couple of years ago. He actually left the team for a season because of academic issues. He had to get straightened out, so he missed his what would have been his junior season, uh, missed that entire campaign, then came back, had a really strong final year uh, for Temple that year, put up some really big numbers, had a lot of big plays down the field. Uh, when he was on the field, he was a big-time playmaker for that program. Lined up mostly at X, did get some reps in the slot. He was tall, just under six foot three, but very light, very lanky, under 
under 190 pounds. He had small hands. He had short arms. So didn't quite look the part in terms of the physical stature, but he was tall and he had that you know that lean, angular frame. You could see that he kind of had that sprinter build, and he's got the ability to get downfield. He rolled right out of his stance, gets to top speed in a hurry. He could eat up ground very, very quickly. You could see in college that he could be a legitimate deep threat in the NFL with the ability to get on top of corners and run away in space. But he wasn't just a speed guy because I thought he could get in and out of breaks very well. Had the ability to stick his foot in the ground and go in an instant. Uh, you know, ultimately, I thought he separated pretty well for a taller receiver. He had the quickness in and out of breaks. Had the mindset to be able to set up corners mid route, and he looked good catching the ball. He plucked the ball away from his frame. Uh, you know, he was able to catch and twist and uh, contort his body to make a reception, whether it was down the field or over the middle. It was very experienced working between the hashes. Uh, made a lot of catches over the middle, and really. Not only did he make one-handed catches, but some of his most impressive grabs from my notes were ones where the pass was tipped and he showed the focus and the concentration to be able to reel the pass in despite the throw being tipped. I thought that was one thing that really stood out to me on film. Not an intimidating run player, um, but a guy that you know could do some different things for you as a blocker on the perimeter. His build was a bit concerning. It did worry about his play strength, the ability to run through contact early in the down. That was a little bit of an issue. He did have some tools in his toolbox in terms of beating a press corner, but ultimately relied on his quickness, his foot speed to be able to run by people. So wanted to see how is he going to beat press coverage on the outside in the NFL. I wanted to see a little bit more consistency as a route runner and consistency at the catch point as well. I mentioned that he looked good catching the ball, but he also had a number of focus drops. I think I had him down as eight uncontested drops in his final season of 2015. A lot of people around the league, and this is people, you heard this in the media, and you also, just from talking to people, a lot of people thought that he would be a corner uh, at the next level. I was actually at his pro day and watched him go through cornerback drills, and he, I could see why people liked him. And he was six foot three, and he would, you know, showed the ability to plant and drive. He actually had a little bit of a cornerback background, was a part-time corner early in his career. So some people thought, hey, with a kid that, that is that tall, you know, and has the ability to move that way, maybe we can turn him into a corner. I always kind of thought that he could be a receiver in the NFL. And I actually, in my final review, at the end of the day, I thought he would be a, a stick as a third or fourth wide out with a team. He turned out to be a little bit better than that, even. Um, you know, I thought with his ability to win in space as a pass catcher with quickness and speed, despite the drops, that he could be a vertical threat in the NFL. I could see why some people saw him as a corner, uh, and I had been wrong on those projections in the past. Um, you know, but I think ultimately, I still saw him as a wide receiver, a guy that can ma- be a playmaker on the perimeter. Now he's turned into one of the better pure deep threats in the league. Uh, he's long. He can run really well. If it, if it is Sam Darnold this week that goes, this is a guy that you have to be able to watch for down the field on deep shot plays uh, You know, against the secondary. It's going to be one player to keep an eye on coming back to his uh, former stomping grounds with the Temple Owls. So Robbie Anderson, certainly a name to keep an eye on here in, the, uh, in this Week 5 matchup here at Lincoln Financial Field. Get a behind-the-scenes look at life for the Philadelphia Eagles on the Eagles Insider Podcast presented by Lincoln Financial Group. From football to pop culture, no topic is off-limits with Eagles Insider Dave Spadaro. Subscribe today wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, well, that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. Really appreciate everybody out there for listening. Appreciate Greg Cosell. Great stuff from him as always. And again, the number one way to support this show, go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. It's the best way to boost our show. Give us a little bit of a bump up the rankings here for more people to find the show uh, wherever podcasts can be found. All right, we will see you next week here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Fly, Eagles, fly.